Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, we want to jump right into the Word this morning. I have something on my heart that I've been weighing for a number of weeks and uh, just been waiting to get past Christmas. Really felt like Christmas time is a time to speak about Jesus' birth, but I want to talk about something that's been on my heart for quite some time, something the Lord's been speaking to me about, and uh, it's going to take a lot of backfill. I'm going to have to kind of give the backstory to get to what I want to release to you this morning. We also have an announcement we're going to make here towards the end of the message as well, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I thank you that you've entrusted us with this hour of human history. God, that for whatever reason, Lord, you saw fit to create us for such a time as this, to call us into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that you have fit us for this disruptive season of human history. And Lord, that you have declared us by the fact that you created us in this hour, that we are up to the task. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to be encouraged by that. You know that? Uh, I, uh, I had an encounter with the Lord a couple of months back. Uh, some of you have heard me talk about this. Those of you that have been praying with us in the morning, uh, many of you were here. Uh, but I want to unpack something that, that the Lord spoke to me and showed me on a Tuesday morning and on a Wednesday morning and, uh, and uh, what he's been speaking to me out of that. It's uh, often... Uh, when the Lord speaks to us initially, I don't know about you, but I find that there's a whole lot more to it than I initially thought. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a little grain of it and just run with it, only to find out that I should have just paused for a minute and picked up more uh, before I took off running. Uh, it was uh, a Tuesday morning. Now, by the way, as, as they said in the announcements, we are, go- we are still praying uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday morning, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 7 to 8 a.m., Wednesdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I want to encourage you, if you can make it out, even just for one of those mornings, it would really be good. We, we're, uh, we're praying for our nation. We're going to continue praying for our nation. And I believe we are in a pregnant hour uh, where there's a lot of things you're going to hinge on what happens over the next few months. And so this is a time for us to rule and reign with him from the height of a bended knee. When we, you know, that little, that little uh, advertisement that says, history belongs to the intercessor. That's not just a nice phrase, that is truth. And God is looking for those who will partner with him to see his purposes uh, realized. It, and, and that's going to happen through intercession. So one, it was a Tuesday morning, we were praying, and uh, we just began to pray into a prophetic word that Chuck Pierce had given over the state of Iowa in 2002, I believe it was. It might have been 2003. Dutch Sheets and Chuck Pierce who were traveling around the nation and uh, giving, they were meeting at every state and, and Chuck gave this prophetic word over every state. And that particular morning, we just felt led to pray over those prayers. And one of the things that Chuck said was that we were we will, glean, we will be like Ruth, and if we glean from the corners, things will break out in the middle. Well, hey, we're in the middle, so I've got a vested interest. Let's glean from the corners. So we were praying over that, and someone reminded me, uh, 
Matter of fact, I think it was Brenda Long was here that morning and she reminded me, she had given me a picture of the state of Iowa with those words imposed over the various corners. She talked about the four corners, different things that were happening there. And so uh, Laura ran into my office, got that, we laid it on the floor, prayed over it. And uh, that was that. I just felt like, man, that, that, was, that was from the Lord that morning. The next morning was Wednesday morning. We started at 6 a.m. And uh, we're praying and it was about probably 6.45 and it was one of those crickets mornings, you know? You ever prayed an unanointed prayer? You ever been into an unanointed prayer meeting at 6 a.m.? You got my drift. Uh, so I was, I, I laid down here and was just praying and, oh God, help me get through this prayer meeting. And now I was really, I was praying over Iowa and I, I was praying, Lord, displace the principalities and powers over Iowa. And the Lord clearly spoke to me and he said, the problem is not in the heavens, it's in the ground. And all of a sudden I saw this leadership stain in the ground of Iowa. Now bear with me here. Dreams and visions are still for today. They're all over the scripture. You pull those out, the whole thing caves in, okay? God has not changed. And so as we're praying, uh, I, I saw this leadership stain, and I knew it had to do with leadership failure, leadership that had fallen into immorality, abusive leadership, uh, those that have gotten discouraged and left their post. And so I was, I was kind of confused by that. And all of a sudden, the Lord took me underneath the ground, and I saw this giant tilted compass. It looked like a gyroscope, but I knew it was a compass. And I, I questioned, I thought, Lord, is this you? Or am I just, you know, did I not have enough coffee this morning? And uh, the Lord said, look where it's pointed. Now, if you, Chuck Pierce's word over Iowa, he talked about the northeast part of the state. And one of the things he said, he said the northeast part of the state, he said there's a darkness that's, that's over that part of the state. He said, I don't know what that is, but that's got to be taken care of before things can break out in the middle. So as the Lord told me, look where that's pointed, I leaned into the vision and it was pointed toward the northeast part of the state. It wasn't pointing true north, it was tilted. And the Lord said this, that part of the state is exerting an undue influence over the rest of the state. So I felt like, okay, this is the Lord. I stood up, called the intercessors forward. I said, hey, this is what I saw, and this is all I got out of my mouth. I said, I saw a compass underneath the ground, and it was tilted, it was pointed. At, well, I didn't, I didn't even get that part out. I, didn't, I just said, I saw this compass underneath Iowa, and Joyce well, was sitting on the front row. She goes, ooh! <laughs> so that, that was a prophetic, ooh! And I said, Joyce, what's up? She said, I just had a dream just before I came this morning that we were all praying over a map of Iowa and it morphed into a compass, but it couldn't find true north. It just kept bouncing around. Now, I had not shared yet that it wasn't pointed towards true north. So I'm like, okay, it's on. And I began to pray into that word. The next day, I'm walking along uh, down this aisle right over here, and I'm praying, and I, I, I was praying these words, Lord, you change the times and seasons. And again, I walk past Joyce, she goes, ooh, another prophetic, ooh. And uh, so I, she said, Pastor, look. She said, look at the verse the Lord just ha had me turn to, and she held up her Bible. It was Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, which says, he changes the times and seasons. 
So I knew, this is on, we're on to something. So this is the exact rendering of the verse. Listen to what it says. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. So I began to pray into this and, and really ask the Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Because I knew that this compass had to do with leadership failure. And I knew there were some situations the Lord had laid on my heart about some scenarios that had happened some years back that I felt like the gears of Iowa had been seized. That that the enemy had disrupted the plans and purposes of God through prematurely removing leaders from their post. And so as I began to pray into this, the Lord began to minister to me this thought that from this verse, uh, he changes the times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. And it was the idea that times and seasons are connected to the reign of men. Matter of fact, you can see this in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Kings. Redemptive history in those particular books are divided among the reigns of men. In other words, the purposes of God are divided among the rulership of men. You see this with David. David is a wonderful example. It says in, I want to say it's 2 Chronicles, there's a fascinating verse. I love how the King James Version renders it. It says, matter of fact, let me see, I I wrote the, the verse down. It says that David perceived that he was... First uh, Chronicles 14.2, and David perceived that the Lord had made him king over Israel for the sake of his people. In other words, David perceived the purpose of his anointing. He, received, he perceived the purpose of his promotion. It, what, David didn't just think it was a haphazard thing. Well, God really likes me, so he put me in charge. He perceived the purpose of the anointing on his life. And therefore, he was able to function in it. There was a reason God put him on the throne. It was for specific purposes. And in in Acts, it says that David served his generation. He served the purposes of God in his generation. And then he was laid to rest with his forefathers. In other words, there was a purpose for David's life. There was a purpose to David's reign. And once David's reign was over, that Davidic season transpired and then they moved into the next season. And so it's an important principle for you and I to understand that the reign of man designates times and seasons. Now, I began to study this whole concept of times and seasons. And in the Hebrew, they're very distinct words. Times is the, is the Hebrew word oiden. Uh, it's, it has, let, me, let me read this to you so I, I can't say this from memory. I won't remember it. Uh, Times is the, Greek, is the Hebrew word, not Greek, uh, the, is the term translated from the Hebrew word oiden, and it carries two specific implications. Number one, it's an indefinite period. So when God changes the times or he's speaking of the times, it's not a definite period of time where it, it's the time on a clock where it says beginning and an end or a time on a calendar. Because of the second element to this, this word oiden, it's connected to a specific situation. Let me say it again. It's an indefinite period of time connected to a specific situation. Thus, it is more about a purpose than a set period. 
It's akin to when the New Testament speaks of this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations, ethnos, and then the end shall come. So the coming of Jesus is not the date on a clock rather, or on a calendar, but rather the fulfillment of a purpose. When is Jesus going to return? Depends on what we get the job done. Because it's tied to the, the fulfillment of a purpose. It's, it's the same concept as that Hebrew word, oiden. And so God has times in our life. And we can extend the time or we can shrink the time based upon our obedience. It's similar to the children of Israel. When they, you know, they left Egypt, went into the wilderness, and they're going to go to the promised land. Uh, scholars say it what should have been about an 11-day journey. It became a 40-year journey. Why? They kept taking laps around Mount Sinai because of their disobedience. And so that that time was extended because of disobedience. And times can be shrunk because of obedience. That's why Christian maturity is not so much the time that you've spent walking with the Lord as much as it is the time you've spent obeying the Lord. There are a lot of believers who are young chronologically but mature spiritually and there are other believers who are very old chronologically but very immature spiritually because it's not time spent, it's time invested in obedience to the Lord. And so this word times is very important to us. And there are times in our life and those times, they are a period of, of, they're a segment, they're a period pregnant with purpose. And they're put under your stewardship and you can extend them or shrink them. The word seasons is different. It's the Hebrew word zaman. And it comes from the root word zaman, meaning to a point. It, on the other hand, emphasizes the fixed nature of a season. This emphasis on the fixed nature is the primary difference between these two words. It deals more with the ordained timing of when it starts. Put it this way, comparing the two. Time deals with the purpose while seasons the set point of initiation. Therefore, seasons are dependent upon times. Or to say it another way, the launch of a new period, a new season, a reset is dependent upon the fulfillment of the, ful- the faithfulness to fulfill the purpose of the last season. Times are smaller increments serving partial purposes of the overall, overall season. And so when the, uh, when the purpose of that season is fulfilled, it triggers a new time. And it's often triggered by leadership change. That's why when people talk about, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about when Billy Graham would die. There were prophetic words. When Billy Graham dies, it was going to initiate something fresh. That is, not an, that is not some random thought someone just pulled out of thin air. The lives of men carry purpose. And when they die in faithfulness, it does trigger something. It, 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 it marks the beginning of new seasons. And we need to understand that. And the the role they play really does mean something. And so when people occupy a seat of authority, like a Billy Graham or a David, 
when somebody carries those, those types of positions of authority, their life and their death will trigger something and launch us into new seasons. It's very important. The, the reason the Lord began to talk to me about this is he began to talk to me about specifically our state. And there were some key leaders who were taken out prematurely and it seized the gears over our state. The, full, the, the purpose of their life had not yet been fulfilled. And because the time hadn't been fulfilled, the time of their life had not been fulfilled, we weren't able to step into a new season as a state. It was like something had, had the gears had been seized. And as I was praying, you know, I kept seeing these gears. And so I began to ask the Lord, well, God, how can we make this happen? And he began to speak to me about the essential nature of intercession in those situations. That as intercessors, we can step in and fulfill the failed purposes of a man. We can, we can fill in what they left behind. And we can get the gears moving again through, intercess, through intercessions and through repentance and intercessory acts. And so uh, the reason God began to move in this regard and speak to us in our prayer meetings about this is because the waters of intercessions began to rise. People began to pray and God was breaking something loose. So I had this back thought uh, a few months ago about this whole th situation. So this is an important principle. It points to the fact that the clock of heaven moves by the obedience of man. We just let that land for a minute. The clock of heaven moves by the obedience of man. Often we're saying, God, why don't you move? And God looks at us and says, why don't you move? Get about the work I assigned to you. Don't allow 11-day journey become 40 years of your life spent in disobedient wandering. And so it's essential we understand. Again, the clock of heaven moves by the obedience of man. When leaders fail, it has an effect on the redemptive timeline. This is precisely why the enemy will attack a leader in his area of vulnerability, attempting to remove him or her off their post. That's why in, in the book of Daniel, it not only talks about this in chapter 2. I want to say it's in chapter 7. It talks about the enemy manipulating the times and seasons. He tries to manipulate the times. He wears out the saints and tries to manipulate the times, extending the time period and keeping God's purposes from transpiring. We see this kind of language throughout Scripture. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. In other words, there was the ripening of the purpose of the last season, and only that could trigger the next season. Something had to be fulfilled in the fullness of time, then it was time for Jesus to come. And the same holds true of Jesus' second coming. There are things that have to be fulfilled before he'll come again. And it's not some random date hidden in the heart of God on, on a calendar. It's a purpose that must be fulfilled. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all nations, and then the end shall come. That's why we need to be about preaching the gospel to, to the ends of the earth. We are bringing back the king. And just asking him to return is not good enough. We need to cooperate with our part of that process because our fulfilling the purpose of the period will trigger the new season. And there is a, 
there is a new season, a new era called the second coming of Christ that will, we will move into the millennial kingdom and so forth, depending on what your theology is, but it's going to be different than it is now, okay? We won't get into eschatology and arm wrestle over that. I'm just telling you, when Jesus returns, we all agree it's going to be different. It's going to launch a new season. Well, I would propose to you that right now, planet Earth, human history, we are in a very disruptive, transitional time in human history. We are, this, there, there's talk, even among the secularists, the, the, the godless, the, the atheists, those that have declared war against the church even, they are talking about the great reset. And I'm telling you, there is a great reset coming. But it's God's great reset. There is a new season that God is wanting to launch. And it's going to be a season of unprecedented harvest. There's something that we're moving into. But there's things that need to yet be accomplished. And in these hours of transition, the intercessors uh, carry a huge responsibility. And in those times, the enemy tries to seize the thrones of control. The seats of authority in the earth are crucial to the enemy and to the kingdom in those moments of human history. And so we need to understand that this, this, this thing is going on right now. There's, we're, we're, we're in such a time. Now, I've got like five different versions of notes here, so... In light of that, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 1. I have a dear friend, Pastor Brad Sherman. Some of you know Brad. Uh, he pastors in Coralville. And uh, we were talking the other day, and he shared this passage with me. And I was stunned at the template of this passage for this hour. So listen, I want to unpack this for you. Now David was old and advanced in years, verse 1. Why does it mention that? Because what it's speaking of is that this was an hour, Israel was on the precipice of a new season marked by a regime change. And the scenario here is that there was a battle for the throne. There was a fight for the seat of authority in Israel. And we're seeing that go on in the physical and in the spiritual right now. This is going on on many different levels. We are in an hour, a, a, a time of war, a war for thrones of authority, positions of authority. The enemy always attempts to sabotage God's purposes at the threshold of a new season, frustrating the times and seasons. That's Daniel 7.25. He does this by presenting his candidate as the answer to fulfill, and the, uh, to, as the answer to thus pull God's purposes off track. God's purposes are guarded by attentive prophets and mothers in the faith who intercede on behalf of God's choice. So that's where we're at in this hour. And this is happening on multiple levels. Now, real quick here, before we get into that, one other thing I do want to cover. Uh, this idea of the times and seasons is very important. We are in, we are in a, a, a transition moment in human history. There are things shifting where 
the, this is globally, we're coming into a new era and people know it. And there is a battle for who will rule the future. Uh, the other thing I want to touch on is the prophetic in this element. Because what I want to do to you, I want to I I share with you a prophetic template on how we can pray this morning. And uh, a couple of things. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out which one to jump into. Let, let's start here. The ecclesia of God. I'm going to talk about politics this morning. And there are people who look and say, Pastor, I can't believe that you would talk about politics and dive into this from the holy desk, from the platform. They would say that politics have no place from the pulpit. And it's because, I'll say this kindly, they do not understand the church and the mission of the church. The mission, of, the word we translate church from the Greek is ecclesia. The reason we call it church was it, be, it was an intentional and very unfortunate translation by King James to call it church, Kirk. And it was, he watered down the word because he understood it would threaten his authority to have absolute rule in England. He wanted the church under him and not the church as God's legislative people in the earth. The word ecclesia was a governmental term and it had to do with a legislative people. Matter of fact, in Roman law, there, there was even a, a, an idea of wherever two or three are gathered in the name of Caesar, there they could, they could establish the ecclesia and do business for the kingdom. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Jesus borrowed from that model the word ecclesia was a legislative body. Matter of fact, in Ephesus, when there was the great riot, and uh, they, they said, hey, we're in danger of being an illegal gathering. In the Greek, it was an illegal ecclesia. Because they, had, they, were, they were causing a riot. The enemy has his ecclesia, God has his. And our job is to enforce the, the will of God in human history by intercession and activism, okay? That is our job. And it's in every facet of life. We are not to be reduced and relegated to merely spiritual things. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a truncated gospel. That is a, that is a gospel that has been carved down to a stump and doesn't make an impact. God expects us to enforce his kingdom realities in every facet of life. God is very opinionated. And he's very secure in his opinions. And his opinions are called his word. And God speaks from his word. And we're to speak into every aspect of life. Especially politics. Because whoever occupies the seat of governmental authority has great authority to either hinder or facilitate the gospel. They can make it easy or they can make it hard. That's why Paul said, pray for kings and all those in authority. That the gospel may go forth is essentially what he was saying. Now we have been given a tremendous gift called a Republic, where we, it's a government by the people, for the people. It's of the people. We are the rulers, and we rule through our, our vote. And we have to take that very, very seriously. So if there's anywhere on the earth 
We should be speaking about political issues. It's in the United States of America where the people are the rulers and we're to speak to their consciences to make decisions based on the word of God. Okay? So I want to just, I want to clear that right there. The ecclesia. We have to speak about these things. Now, the whole idea of a prophetic people. We are not only the ecclesia of God. The ecclesia of God are to be a prophetic people. Now, what is a prophetic people? Sad to say, much of the church, many believers really do not understand what it means to be a prophetic people. They don't understand the prophetic. I didn't understand the prophetic, having been raised in a very prophetic church as a child. A lot of believers don't believe in the prophetic, but even of that company of people, Pentecostal, Charismatics, the Apostolic Prophetic Stream, the Revival Stream, all those Even amongst those, many do not understand the prophetic. What do I mean by that? Let me just read it and I'll stay on track. The prophetic is a fascinating, mysterious thing. And most believers do not understand. Do not understand it, even among those who believe in it. Through the prophetic, God reveals his intentions and in turn invites us into partnership to shape history. There are prophetic words of judgment which are not God's ultimate intention. God is just revealing, this is what will happen, now pray. We see this with Moses. God said, I'm gonna wipe out Israel and make a nation through you. No, God, okay. What's that? Is God double-minded? No. He was was issuing, and make no mistake about it, God was revealing his intention. He would have done that had he not found an intercessor. But there's a difference between his intention and his desire. And when we hear words of judgment, if we don't make that distinction between that being the intention of God and therefore an invitation to contend with him to avoid that, then we lose heart because we think it's an expression of an angry father that is bent on destruction. But that wasn't the case. Second Chronicles chapter 19 is one of the best passages on this. If you look, Jehoshaphat had just gone to war with Ahab. Ahab gets, gets killed. Jehoshaphat shows up after battle. And all of a sudden this guy, uh, it was uh, Jehu the seer. It's not the same Jehu that killed Jezebel. Jehu the seer intercepts him coming back from battle and said, the Lord is displeased with you and his wrath is upon you because you were helping an ungodly man. That's not the kind of word you want to receive. It was a bummer word, okay? Jehoshaphat goes home. Next thing you know, the enemy shows up at the gate, and they're going to be destroyed. And most believers would have just caved right there and said, this was the judgment of God. I deserved it. And they would have surrendered. But not Jehoshaphat. Why? He inquired of the Lord, and another prophet brought forth a word and said it. And so Jehoshaphat encourages them with this word and says, Believe in the Lord, and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will have forward momentum, is really what the Hebrew is saying. And, they brought, and the Lord brought about a great victory. How can a man under such a devastating word stand in the face of the enemy when most would think that's the fulfillment? Because Jehoshaphat had a revelation of the goodness of God. And we've got to receive every word through the lens of the goodness of God. And even words of judgment and discipline are not expressions of God's desire, but they very well may be expressions of his intentions, and therefore they're invitations so that those things can be thwarted. 
And I don't know about you, but there were many, many years I did not understand that. I remember as a young believer, I cut my eye teeth on Leonard Ravenhill and David Wilkerson. And I remember when David Wilkerson came out with his book, Set the Trumpet to Thy Mouth. Anybody read that? Here's the opening line to that, word, that book. America will be destroyed by nuclear holocaust. America has sinned and America will be no more because America has sinned against God. That's the opening line. I shut the book. I was in such despair. I knew David Wilkerson hears from God. Man, I was in such despair. I lived under that for several years because I thought every prophetic word of judgment, if it was a true one, is an inevitability. And therefore, all I can do is just live in despair. And that is not the case. We need to understand. And, and the same is true, the flip side, prophecies of blessing. There are words of intervention and deliverance which reveal God's desire, yet will never be realized due to the apathy of man. You can, we can receive a word of judgment as a nation and it does not happen. And it's not because it was a false word. Jonah was not a false prophet, but his word was never realized because the word produced the very thing it was sent to produce. And make no mistake about it, God would have destroyed Nineveh had they not repented. The purpose of it was to elicit a heart change so God stayed his hand. And there are others who receive. I, I, I know all kinds of people that have received the same word again and again. I know one guy lives south of here. He's always telling me how God's going to use him. God's going to use me powerfully. He's had all these words. God's going to use me powerfully. God's going to, and I've heard him say it 20 years, and I'm sick of hearing it because God ain't using him. And God never will unless something changes in his life. He floats from church to church. It's a bless me club. God's going to use me. God's going to use me. There's no cooperation on his part. He thinks that the blessing is an inevitability, and it's not. It demands our human cooperation. Prophecy needs to be uh, cooperated with. There's the divine side and there's the human side. And we need to work with the Lord. And so, again, prophecy is not a statement of inevitability. It is an invitation to partner with heaven in intercession and activism. When God reveals his will, we are to partner with it. Now, that brings us to this passage. 1 Kings chapter 1. I don't know where you stand politically. I don't know who you voted for. I don't know what you think about what's going on in the election. And ultimately, it doesn't matter this morning where you're at. Uh, it will matter on how you contend for God's will. And there were numerous prophetic words about Donald J. Trump before the election, before he ever ran. Matter of fact, as early as 2000 and probably 2009, 2010, I would say, uh, one of the intercessors here at Heartland called me, young Baptist girl, new to this stuff. She calls me and she began to be used prophetically. She calls me one morning. She said, Pastor, I woke up this morning and Donald Trump's face was right in front of me. And she said, all of a sudden an eagle swept in and as his face grew, the eagle rose what do you think it means? I think I told her it meant you ate too much pizza or something like that, you know, <laughs> being a good pastor. 
I now look back on that and realize that what God was talking about was the rising eagle of our nation. Kim Clement brought some undeniably accurate words about God is going to raise up Donald Trump to be the president of this nation. Some of you have seen that. There was an an Italian man. uh, This was back in the 70s. He shared with a guy about, he said, God's hand is on Donald Trump and he will be, he'll be the president of the United States and God's gonna use him to bring this nation, turn it around. Now, it doesn't matter if we like him, if we like his demeanor, if we agree with his policies, I am not a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian. I am a child of God, and I get my orders from him. Yes, sir. And it's my job to get behind his purposes and pray those things through. So whether you agree with those words or not, I'm speaking to those who do this morning, okay? And I'm not, I'm not casting stones at anybody who doesn't agree, but I feel compelled of the Lord to give those who believe those words a marching orders this morning from this passage. So let's get to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings, now David was old and well advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, let a young woman be sought for the Lord, for my Lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in his arms, that my Lord the king may be warm. They sought for a beautiful young woman throughout the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was in service to the king and attended him, but the king knew her not. In other words, they didn't have a physical relationship. They weren't, you know, they weren't coming together as man and wife. He was just an old wrinkled man. It was really cold, and she kept him warm. Now, that's kind of a strange thing to mention, isn't it? And then it gets into this. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. See, Adonijah was the oldest living son of David. And Adonijah took it on himself to say, I will ascend to the throne. I'm going to be king. I'm the guy. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at, this, at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus? He was also a very handsome man and he was born next to Absalom. He conferred with Joab, so he, he began to gain an alliance of very influential people. A general, military leader, Abathar the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok, but there was a group of people who he didn't tell because he knew that they wouldn't agree with him. Zadok the priest and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened calf by the serpent stone which is beside in Rogel and invited all his brothers and the king's son and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaniah or the mighty men or Solomon his brother. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba. Now, this is fascinating and this will have to take place another day. But there is a message in this. If you're reading the ESV, the heading is Nathan and Bathsheba before David. And the last time these three names showed up together, Nathan was rebuking David for his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and prophesying the death of their child. And now we see them show up together and Nathan is intervening to rescue the legacy of this couple by protecting their other child, Solomon. 
and making sure that he gets where he needs to go. It's an amazing story. Just goes to tell you, be open to correction and keep relationship with those who give it to you. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king and David, our Lord, does not know it? Now, therefore, let me give you some advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, did you not... My Lord, the king, swear to me, your servant, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on your throne. My, uh, why then is Adonijah king? And then while you're still speaking, I will come in and confirm your words. And that's exactly what happens. She goes in, she bows before the king, and he said, what do you want? And she said, you, you swore to me, David. He reminds her of her, his word. Uh, she reminds him of his word to her. The past promises are what he uses, she uses, to intercede in this situation. And on the heels of that, Nathan comes in and verifies. And they get, while Adonijah is in his inaugural party, all of a sudden, David sends the mighty men and Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, and the prophet and the priest anoint him with oil and declare him the new king of Israel. And the, the stealing of this inauguration was stopped. But here was the thing. How did they do it? What do you do when there are words that have been given that are in jeopardy? What are the, Kim Clement, when he prophesied that Donald Trump being president, I mean, that was way out there. People must have thought he was nuts. I remember when my wife told me she's going to vote for Donald Trump. I, I was like, Kath. We need to talk, you know. I, I tried to talk her out of it. She, she, she said, no, this is God's man. Amen. He said that he would be a two-term president. Now, either you think that he, he was lucky and he just happened to get it right on the first term and, and uh, it doesn't matter on the second one, or you see the pattern here. What is the pattern? There is a marriage between the prophetic and the interceding bride that goes in and cries out before the throne, reminding him of past promises. And that is what we need to do. We need to go before the Lord and we need to cry out because this thing is not yet done. We are contending for the throne. And we are in a season of transition this is happening globally. There, there are things. I, I, I just saw the headline in a, a paper in Europe. It said how the American presidential election was stolen. Their headlines read those things. We need to pray that God's purposes would prevail. And again, it doesn't matter what we think of the man. What matters is, are we going to get behind what God said or not? And either Kim Clement was right or he was wrong. So are we going to pray? And we need, the way we are to pray is we are to get before we go to the king like Bathsheba did. And she said, did you not say 
then why is this happening? Reminding God. That's why Paul told Timothy, he said, I want, you to, I want to remind you of the prophetic words given to you along with the instructions so that by them, the prophecies and instructions, you may war a good warfare. Prophecy is not an inevitability. It's a weapon by which we fight for the prophesied future. We fight for those things by declaring the word of the Lord. We, we appeal to God's purposes and we ask him to fulfill his word. Not every accurate prophetic word is fulfilled. Some because it wasn't God's desire and the people prayed. And some because it was his desire, but he couldn't find an intercessor to agree. There is a battle raging. And right now, we're, there is a global transition going on. And we need to be praying like never before. And we need to remind the Lord of what he said. God is smarter than I am. So I, I'm just setting aside every, all of my analysis and I'm getting behind his word and reminding him of his word and crying out for his purposes that God's purposes will prevail. And call me crazy, but I don't believe this thing is over yet. I believe, this, I believe we're still fighting for this thing. And we need to cry out. We're... There, during these seasons of transition, during these seasons, these periods, there is the fruition of past purposes to launch us into new seasons. And I'm telling you, that's happening on multiple fronts. It's happening globally. It's happening regionally. There are some things that, that God is doing even in our own state, and there's things that God is doing in-house. And uh, I want to I address one of those this morning. Rick, would you come on up here? Uh, we have an announcement this morning. Uh, we have been talking about this, this whole thing of the purposes of God, of seasons and times. And uh, Rick and I have been praying about KHOP and the purpose of KHOP. And we've come to the conclusion that it is time to lay KHOP to rest. That I, I believe it's uh, not just an announcement, but it's a celebration that it fulfilled its purpose, that there was a foundation laid, and now we're going to move into the next season. I want to make it clear, and I know Rick will as well, this, this is a mutual decision we've made. Uh, I, I went to Rick, and Rick, uh, man, he was feeling the same thing. He's going to share with you this morning the things the Lord was speaking to him. This is not a time where we're going to pray less. Prayer is ramping up, and we're going to own this even more, but we feel like the uh, the container of KHOP has served its purpose. And what we want to do is, is firmly, very clearly wed the intercession in the house of Heartland. That these, this, we are a house of prayer. We don't have a house of prayer. It's not some bolt-on accessory. That is who we are. We are an inner city. We are a people of prophetic intercessory worship. So, Rick. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that earlier in your sermon, you used an IT term. It's become part of our, you know, he said, uh, talked about a purpose being truncated. And that actually comes from storing of data, and data is stored in computers in a field. A field is a container, and you define a field as having room for a certain amount of data. And if you take a piece of data that is bigger than the container and you push it in, Everything that doesn't fit gets cut off and lost. Oh, I never knew that. 
truncated means the container can't hold the data and what's left over is lost. And that is where KHOP is wow. right now. Mm. The container wow. is not big enough for what God needs to do in intercession in this church and in the earth. And I think Heartland can become a model for what God wants to do. Not in my notes, sorry. I wrote it in notes so I wouldn't go off script. <clears throat> anyway, in the beginning of, of January of 2020, God told me, be ready because KHOP's going to change. Don't hold very tightly to what it is that you've been used to doing. He even talked to me about Tuesday nights and, and all the things that we're used to. And I'm going, oh, man, you know, what do I do with that? And then COVID hit. And that changed everything. Like, I decided I was going to step up my apparel at work. I was going to dress a little sharper. So I bought these shoes. This is the third time I've worn them. All of our lives have been like that. So Chaos started as a Friday night prophetic prayer meeting at First Church of the Open Bible. And I got invited to the second one, and it went three hours. And I love this. Let's do it again. And Randy Bixby and Dave Hibbs and several of us just did it again. Bob Castelline was there. Um, and we did it again, and we did it again. And then Randy entered a 21-day fast. Do you remember this? And the ladies from IHOP came up, and they prayed over him. And we, we got done with our three or four hours of prayer. And there's Randy on the floor, shaking under the power of God. And we're going, I don't know, somebody's got to turn the lights out here, you know, whatever. And he woke up from that with a vision that God w wanted him to start a house of prayer. And he was all over like, you know, okay, well, I'll move to Kansas City because that's what you do it. Or what do I do? Whatever. And God clearly spoke to him, stay here with me. And, uh, and so Kingdom House of Prayer started as prayer center for the nations at First Church of the Open Bible. And then container changes. Uh, it moved into Wellspring. We moved into uh, Wellspring and then to Elam Christian Fellowship. And then finally, I think it was about 2006, um, came here to Heartland Church. And Heartland Church made a place. This is, I do love this, right? The auditorium was shorter, and they made a place for prayer for Kingdom House of Prayer, and it was approximately here, right? So pastor preaches from the house of prayer every day. Um, anyway, uh, in 2011, um, and sorry, we were, we were doing a variation of IHOP and Wind and Fire, and we had prayer in the morning on several days a week. We were open for prayer during the day. We had prayer five nights a week, and the, the Friday was a worship and prayer and preaching. And, and uh, anyway, um, and we had healing and prophecy rooms every month. So I just, I'm telling you the history so that you know what's been accomplished in this history, all right? Uh, in 2011, Randy um, began to be called into some larger things, and he had this vision at home of laying the keys of KHOP at the feet of Heartland, and at the very same time, here in Heartland Church, Bob Hazlett was preaching and having us all shake our keys and talking about governmental intercession. And those two things converged, converged into Heartland, literally laying down the 501c3, the structure of, of KHOP, the, the administration of KHOP, so much so that the board of KHOP was dissolved and the board of Heartland became the board of KHOP. Now, I was on both boards at the same time, so for me, this did nothing. <laughs> but, but in any case, um, that transition took place. And, and at that point... Um, you know, they didn't know what to do, and so uh, Randy eventually moved into the chaplaincy for the state of Iowa, and he moved into to traveling and speaking and talking to leadership and, you know, doing small things like transforming cities, just, you know, whatever. Um, and it left 
um, a gap. He stepped down as the director of KHOP, and in the interim, they said, Rick, would you just kind of, you've been involved with this from the beginning, would you oversee this? So I temporarily started, temporarily started overseeing that in 2011. And eventually, that became a, they just made me the director of it. So we were running small, isolated prayer groups, um, decided to consolidate worship and prayer into Tuesday nights, and supported Heartland and some of their worship stuff that, that they were doing on Saturday nights. And instead of running two different healing and prophetic room ministries, we consolidated, consolidated that into Heartland's prayer ministry. Uh, we circled the wagons. We became more focused. We focused on prayer for missions, our specific missionaries from Heartland, missions needs, and you know, like Brad and Kim Campbell. I mean, we, we would meet and pray with them and talk with them and, and even do um, online, you know, online, well, online prayer stuff with them. Anyway, man, I'm going to crunch this down a little bit. We got involved with Burn 24-7. We started doing 24-hour prayer burns. We started pursuing that model of extended intimacy. We got involved with Awake in the Dawn, and we took that model of extended intimacy to Washington, D.C. And in 27, we were part, 2017, we were part of 50 states' tents on the mall, praying for 50 hours, um, and just, you know, bringing the presence of God. And you know that that was a transitional time. That was when a lot of this stuff took place. This is a lot of a lot of the changes in Supreme Court, a lot of changes and that led to Donald Trump becoming president. A lot of this stuff was going on at that time. So uh, anyway, governmental prayer, it's a thing. All of those things. Last fall I began to be really unsettled about what it was that that uh, was going on and I felt like God was saying, "Remember those changes that I told you about? You need to be serious about this." And so I actually submitted to the board, we need to close down the 501c3. It was one of those weird phone calls when I'm calling Pastor Dave, and he's uncomfortable about something he needs to tell me, and I'm t uncomfortable about something I need to tell him, and it's the same thing. And so I'm telling him, we need, we need to hand over the 501c3, just shut it down. It's, it's an unnecessary financial burden. We need, we need to pull uh, KHOP in closer to Heartland. We are not yet, even after all this time, we are not yet lined up with the purposes that God has laid on Heartland Church. And God is telling me, it's like, obey me or die kind of telling me, like, you've got to pull it in. You've got to pull it in. This is serious. This needs to happen in this hour. So I had this dream in 2013 of, of, uh, and it was one of those dreams that I didn't know was God until the next day when I'm like trying, I, Thursday I'm driving to Heartland Prayer and he drops, hey, by the way, this is what it means. And I'm already in Earlham before I realize that I've way past Heartland, past, you know, my entrance, exit. And I'm at a party on a bridge in river, uh, uh, over the river of Des Moines. And it's, it's, it's a big party. And there are a lot of families there, notable families. And, uh, um, there's a little girl, she's like three or four, and she's lost. And they don't know where she is. And a party becomes now a frantic search for the lost child. And I'm looking around, and I look over the bridge, and I look into the river, and I think she could be there. And so I decide the only way to know for sure is to jump into that river. And so I jump into the river, and it's about a foot deep. So anyway, I stand up, and I look around, and I go, because you can do that in a dream. I stand up, and I look around, and I go, God, if she was here, I would see her. And so I pray frantically, God, show me where the little girl is. And I pray again, God, show me where the little girl is. And finally, I'm desperate. God, if you don't show me where she is, she's going to die. You have to show me where the little girl is. 
And he just says, if you'll open your eyes, I will show you. And I thought that was the meaning of the whole dream. And anyway, I looked across the river, and there is a church light. I can see this stone church building and the light, and I think maybe she would have followed that light. And so I walk to the church through the foot-and-a-half-deep river, and I get there, and they find that in the church is a little girl that they don't know what to do with. And they're standing around praying, God, show us what to do with the little girl. And on the bridge is a group of people praying, God, show us where the little girl is. And I realize that the people on the bridge are the houses of prayer who have become separated from the church. And now is the time for the prayer, which is the little girl, the prayer that is what's been birthed out of the houses of prayer to be found in the middle of the church And the dream ends with the people in the church and the people from the bridge praying together and thanking God and celebrating what he's done. And I believe what we're doing right now in saying Kingdom House of Prayer has all these foundations of intercession and worship and all the things that we've done together are the foundations for the next step. But it is the little girl coming back to the church. And it is removing the separation. And it's not that um, there is such a thing as a successful end to a thing, right? An end is not failure. Sometimes it's foundation. And the foundations that have been built are going to take us as Heartland where we need to go in intercession in this hour. And it's not that intercession is less important. It's that it's more important than ever before too important to not get it right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rick. You know, the... Uh, you go ahead and stand so you know we're going to quit. It, uh, there's more prayer going on right now in this house than has in many, many years. And that's true of a lot of places because the Lord is going to have what he declared in Scripture. My house will be a house of prayer. He intended that to be the church. And uh, often what happens when the church loses something, he has to raise up these, what's called a parachurch ministry, to plow new ground before it's owned by the church again. And I believe we're entering a season where God is defining to the church what the ecclesia really is. That we are to govern with God from intercession. And he releases through the prophetic his marching orders to his church so that we'll pray those things through. And so I'm excited about what God's doing. One of the things, we're gonna, be, we're gonna do some more training on these three things, the prophetic, intercession, and worship. Because that three-strand cord, prophetic, intercessory, worship, is what we're called to as a house. So uh, that's a whole lot of stuff. It was kind of more like a shotgun, you know, not a, not a rifle. You hit one thing, it's kind of just spray you and apply what you should, okay? Raise your hands. Father, Lord, I thank you for each one of these this morning. And Lord, we thank you, God, for the hour in which we live. Lord, that you saw fit to create us for such a time as this. And Lord, we embrace this moment. Lord, we embrace the upheaval, the shaking. And Lord, we thank you, God, that we get to live in this hour. Now, Lord, put it in our heart. Give us understanding to cooperate with you. Lord, we ask that you would grant us a greater sensitivity. Lord, that we would know what your heart is, your desires. And Lord, that we would, like Bathsheba, come into your chamber and remind you of your promises, remind you of your words, Lord. And God, that your 
purposes would be realized. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, we're asking, increase the strength of prayer in this region. Lord, let this region, not just this house, but this region be known for its strength in prophetic intercessory worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.